This is a Soulfire production. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. I have been dragging ass today and on the struggle bus because I've been podcasting my face off. But we're here and we're doing it and I'm trying to keep it high vibe. Drink a lot of coffee. So a little, we had a little snow falling here in beautiful golden Colorado. I'm working on the adding the rat into my rato. I don't want to say Colorado like a Texan anymore. I'm trying to do my best to acclimate to the native culture. So... Uh, before we get into the actual show, we're going to talk about universal pre-K, blue states, masks, crack pipes, Tucker Carlson, a little bit of Joe Rogan nonsense, um, and we're going to break into uh, on something to think about. We're going to talk about how we can maybe um, heal just a bit. <laughs> but first, I want to play this this thing that Breaking Points put together uh, for Joe Rogan. They have this guy Orb, I believe his name is. He's a video editor, very talented. And we had all these supercuts going out of Joe Rogan saying these things and whatever and interviewing people that are thought criminals and 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 and, and saying counter cultural things, which is to be completely fucking honest, like as somebody who interviews people, I would love to interview people that I don't agree with. Like I would like to have a conversation with like David Duke or something like that, who's just like completely off the fucking reservation as far as their opinions and views on race and human humanity in general. And they it's just like it's so weird. That it's like fascinating. Like a lot of these times you have these conversations with this, like these outlier crazy people because it's kind of that uh, train wreck effect, right? Like you just, you, it's, it's terrible and you're like, but I can't quit watching. Um, it fascinates us. It really does. That's why, I mean, even, even reading something like uh, Mein Kampf or something like that, it's just like, it's, it's, it's weird and, and, and the dark side of humanity um, is fascinating. So I think there's there's a place for those kind of like long form interviews with these these people that have insane views. But then also you lump someone in there like a, a Jordan Peterson or a Sam Harris, and that doesn't really hold up the same. That's not the same. That's not the same playing field as like a, a David Duke type character. So I think that there's um, not that even I don't think I don't even know has Rogan even had David Duke on. Doesn't matter. But that's the way it's being portrayed. Uh, so they played this, this, uh, they had this compilation put up, this supercut, and I'm going to share some of my thoughts on, on, uh, the inward usage, um, put my neck out a little bit there. Um, but I want to play this for you guys just so we can get, if, in case you haven't seen it, uh, and if you have share it, share the breaking point, Sagar's posted it, um, share it. Cause this is, this is fantastic, but I want to, I want you to see a different side, uh, maybe a, um, a side that the, you won't see this played on Brian Stelter's show. We'll go that far and say that. Really believe if yeah. Michelle Obama runs, she might she win. wins. She's good. She's great. She's right. the wife of the best president that we right, have had right. in our lifetime. I've never voted right wing in my life. I consider universal basic income a really good idea. I want free college education. Take it easy. Hello, Bernie. How are you, Joe? Wonderful. Pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you. I like Tulsi and I like Bernie. That's it. Oh yeah. Everybody else can eat shit. Look at you, fucking progressive. Yeah. I think I'll probably vote for Bernie. I think he's looking out for the interests of the working people, and I think he wants people to have a better life and do better and i'm all for that and if that means i have to pay more in tax like people think oh you're a socialist i've heard people say that oh you're a fucking socialist bro like first of all he's not even a socialist mm -hmm. he, he's a democratic socialist it's a different thing i would like to spend more in taxes if they could fix inner city communities and and 
and take these poor neighborhoods and we spend a fuckload of spend more you fucking Republican piece of shit 87% of scientists (laughs) said that human activity is driving global warming I'm very pro-choice I'm very women's rights civil rights gay rights trans rights I'm even universal health care obviously this um protected status is driving me crazy this this thing that Trump's doing with children that were born in other countries and then brought over here as children and then they're talking about deporting them that drives me fucking crazy and the hard right version of that is despicable this Mm. these people that I see online why didn't they apply for citizenship oh who knows maybe because they're fucking 13 I don't give a fuck if they broke the law you don't take parents and kids and separate them you just fucking don't you know Alonzo no I was a funny comedian yeah he said he goes not all Donald Trump support Supporters are racist, yeah. but all racists are Donald Trump supporters. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 could, that, he definitely awakened that side. But, but see, the January 6th thing is important. See, it is important, and but is it the six months later? Is it should be the ruling it, it, number it, one think, conversation of I journalists? I think it's really important. And one of the reasons why I think it's important because it highlights the reasons why a guy like Donald Trump is so fucking dangerous. Mm-hmm. Is because a guy can incite a bunch of morons to do yeah. something really fucking stupid. But as far as trans people, some trans people listening to this, I got nothing but love for you, for everybody. And in fact, Eddie Izzard is one of my all-time favorite guests. Oh, I love Izzard. The right-wing thing is just an easy way to dismiss me, because I'm not right-wing. I can't recommend your book, Race Matters, enough. Thanks, Joe Rogan. So there There we go. There we go. So let's let's discuss just a bit. I mean, I think it's pretty clear why this is happening. Joe has this media empire. He did it on his own. He didn't have to kowtow to anybody. He didn't, um, I don't know, ride the corporate establishment's dick like Brian Stelter did to a show that he is far, um, far from being talented enough to uphold, uh, which is why viewership is trash. And then CNN is completely in flames. Like they need a villain. They need a villain. They had Trump as a villain. It juiced their ratings. They tried to make Marjorie Taylor Greene a villain. She is not. She, I mean, she, she's silly, but she's not competent enough to, to hold that role. And they can't even pretend to make her competent enough to hold the role of villain. So you have somebody who is actually articulate and well thought out and curious and, and countercultural in many ways. Um, and Joe Rogan, so you can make him into a villain if you want to try, but it's shown to be incredibly ineffective, which on the whole, I think could be a good thing. I think the Joe Rogan thing could be a good thing. The Whoopi Goldberg thing overall, it's like, okay, we've reached uh, you know, kind of peak shit show here. It may get worse, you know, but to me, I'm like, all right, and can everybody just settle the fuck down. Everybody needs to settle down and grow up because we've been, we're in this situation here where everyone on all sides is defensive and just from like a basic understanding of human behavior when you are defensive it is really hard to admit that you're wrong admit the other side has points admit the the weakness in your own viewpoints we're all in this place trump broke everybody's brain from the republicans to the democrats and everybody in between and a lot of us are fucking exhausted with it and i'm assuming that's why you're listening to this show but the people that have dug into their perspectives have zero bandwidth to entertain the ideas from other sides of the political spectrum okay and it's gotten to be just it's 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 gotten to be a, a, a complete disaster. We're at a stalemate here. Like there is no progress happening at all. You know, I mean, we have we have a situation now where the Republicans have out and out said they're not running on a platform. They're just running as the alternative to the craziness that is the Democratic Party, which is the best move. I mean, I would say I could sit here and criticize it, but I'm like, well, that's all you really need to do. In the same way that all Biden had to do to win the election was sit in a basement. Like, that's where we've gotten. It's not competing ideas. 
we're not even competing ideas. It's just like who can let the other people fuck up so much that it's that it that it's impossible for them to win. And we're there. And then you have these these compilations and and stuff going on with these like these things with Joe Rogan saying the N-word like 10, 12 years ago. Here's my perspective on that. And I've held this perspective and I haven't said this publicly enough. Uh, or at all, really. I mean, I kind of kept this to myself because I just, it, the way I look at it as an objective observer is, guys, we don't, we need to grow up, okay? If you're using the N word in context and it's not malicious with a malicious intent or a racist intent or towards somebody, right? Then you got to be able to say the fucking word. Now, if you're around kids, you know, if you're, if say you're babysitting some kids or you're around your friends and the kids and you say the F word or the S word and kind of like shield them from different things. Yeah, but we're not fucking children, guys. We're not children. Okay. So let's grow up a little bit here and change like this. The, the conversation around the N word is actually a very interesting argument or a very interesting conversation to have to dig into that. It's like, okay, this word was. This one thing, once upon a time, right? It was, an opp- it was oppressive language, right? Now, the people who are still using it as oppressive language don't really give a shit what Joe Rogan has to say about it or anybody else. They're still going to use it in the way that they're going to use it, right? But the rest of us, our poor, our, the, the, the pearl-clutching liberal class, can't accept the fact that in places like southern Louisiana, right, like where Theo Vaughn grew up, it's just poor white people and poor black people, and they say it as a term of endearment to one another. I don't know. Like, it just is what it is. Can you not? But you, you're, you're so far from being able to relate to that part of culture, and it makes them so uncomfortable because they look at those people as the underclass, or the idiots, or these like throwaway human beings, when that's just a part of the way they live, and they're not uncomfortable with it. And I don't think that black people, and I'm not trying to speak for you guys here, but I can just make this assumption because I've seen this out there a lot, and I know how I would feel in this position. I think fucking black people are probably really goddamn tired of being told what they should be offended by that's what i think like i know that right now i'm really fucking tired of being told what i should think and how i should feel about a thing and i think after all of the shit that's happened over the past two years the black community is probably fucking fed up with being told how they should feel about a certain thing and that if they disagree with that that they're in the sunken place so maybe quit fucking pandering Maybe bring some substance to the goddamn table and we can have a fucking conversation. But that's going to require our leaders in in government and the media establishment to grow the fuck up, which I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm not going to hold my breath about that. We got to grow up, guys. I didn't think that the phrase context matters would be a controversial statement. But it is, I guess, now. And now we're in a situation where Republicans are now going to have unilateral rule with no checks. <laughs> and that's somehow better? Give me a fucking break. Give me a fucking break, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a man-child, guys. Like, I play a lot. I like, I like to, like, spend weeks at a time in the fucking woods. Yeah, I'm, I, I wear a backwards hat and a hoodie for every fucking show. Or a flat bill. Okay? I dress like a 16-year-old. You could have put me on the scene of Billy Madison and I would have fit in. And I'm the one sitting here talking common sense? How does the fuck did that happen? I'm telling these people to grow up? They're making $30 million a year talking as a talking head on TV and I've got 1,200 YouTube subscribers. <laughs> the views on this video, I might get, if I'm lucky, I'll get 10,000 views on this video. And, and it takes people like me to talk some fucking sense? Crazy, man. Crazy. I mean, 
I mean, I just see my, my black friends, right? If somebody were to use the N word maliciously towards one of my black friends, that's a one way ticket to getting your fucking ass beat. Okay. Now a bunch of these like hoity toity liberals, I don't think they put their neck out like that. I don't think they would. But if you if, if somehow culturally that's a that's a term of endearment or you're using it in context to read Huckleberry Finn out loud, give me a fucking break, guys. Give me a fucking break. And if somehow that offends you, this is controversial, but you need to grow the fuck up. I mean, <laughs> what is it? Sticks and stones, I break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I mean, come on. You know, and then you're like, well, you're just a privileged white dude with good bone structure. You don't know what it's like. Yeah, I got called a fat ass for my whole fucking childhood. I understand what it's like for words to be hurtful, okay? <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ, man. I, I'm, not try, and I'm not trying to get heated, but I just like, we only have so many fucks to give as a culture, and they're going to the most ridiculous places. The most ridiculous places, man. So that's where I stand. Cancel me. I dare you. Try. Try. Fucking just can't say the end. Shut the fuck up. Sorry. Anyways. <laughs> oh, man. Come at me. Come at me. Let's do it. But until they do, let's get to the state of things right now. Let's go. Universal pre-K has been a big topic of conversation. And this actually came from the Patreon community. So thank you guys so much for sharing this. I thought it was very interesting and wanted to bring it to the public show. Because as we speak about oftentimes here on the show, as I speak about and you listen about, and as I talk to my guests about on Thought Criminals, um, that just launched in the Patreon, shout out. But uh, <laughs> Universal pre-K, right? been a big piece of conversation. We talk about needing to acknowledge the unintended consequences of certain actions in order for us to be taken seriously if we present those actions as a possible solution, okay? You need to be able to at least try to conceptualize, and you won't know all of it, and you're going to have a bias with things that you want to do, but you need to be able to acknowledge some unintended consequences within uh, within any policy that you want to uh, implement. It's important. It's an important thing to do. And with universal pre-K, although I do believe it would be a net positive in many ways, we have to look at the whole picture here. We got to zoom out. And studies do show one: a study from the 1970s in Germany, where they actually listened to science and did not implement a universal pre-K and did not increase the education and instruction periods within kindergarten, right? Because it showed adverse results later on in childhood. Okay, so they actually listened to it. And then a new study here in Tennessee. And I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's really long. But essentially what happened was they, they had this study from the 1970s in Germany saying, hey, if you increase uh, instructional periods right within kindergarten and turn it away from being a play group activity painting you know, kind of interactive experience into what we're talking about as a structured educational experience, that actually has diminishing results in the, to the cost of being negative later on in life, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, going into adulthood. So we have to think about why universal pre-K is a part of the conversation. One reason is that it's really difficult for working class families to survive on a single income. So having one person at home 
male or female, it doesn't matter. In our situation here, my wife makes more money than I do. I'll probably do a lot of the like at-home parenting stuff, homeschooling type thing. And I'm really kind of stoked about that. It actually suits me really well. And I don't feel insecure about that in the slightest. But for a lot of people, those gender roles are going to be reversed. And that's fine. Whatever. But... That's not an option for many people. And you are seeing a lot of people move out of cities into more rural areas where that is a possibility. And I think that's to a benefit. So I think the best thing for three and four-year-old kids is to probably be with their families and family friends in like, you know, joint daycare situations and things like that. But that can cost up to $20,000, $30,000 a year for like a nanny share and different things like that. So this universal pre-K does provide an outlet for people that have two working parents to be able to have time and essentially glorified daycare. So it's universal pre-K, but it's essentially glorified daycare. So what we're seeing here is that kids that are three and four that are put in these uh, universal pre-K programs, and they select for this by doing a random drawing. There were more kids, certain counties in Tennessee where this um, study was conducted, there were more kids that wanted to be in the universal pre-K test pilot program than were than spots were available. So they would do a random drawing for kids that were under the poverty level. So it selected for uh, socioeconomic status of these children. If they were under the poverty level, they could enter into the drawing. If they were selected, they were put into the preschool pro or pre-K program. And if they weren't, they were the control group. And what we're seeing here, and if you read this whole study, and I recommend you do it, it's about Peter Gray, he's a PhD, is that the kids that were in the universal pre-K program had did better on their aptitude tests coming into kindergarten. But within the year of kindergarten, those benefits were completely diminished and it became a complete wash. By first, second, and third grade, they had more disciplinary uh, issues. They had lower test scores, um, worse attendance. I mean, they were just overall not as good. I mean, it was by twofold. It would be like 8% versus 16% on many of the things. So it was like twice as many of the kids that were in the preschool group had uh, a worse experience going into elementary school. So what are we looking at here? And what does that mean? And I wanted to bring this up because childhood development is, a, is something I really care a lot about. I know a lot of parents care a lot about me heading into parenthood. Um, in the next year or so, I think about this more than I than I used to. Um, but I've always been kind of fascinated with it because I know a lot of how who we become as adults has to do with how we're raised and our experiences as children. So we've got to think about this, and, and I'm not bringing any kind of definitive answers to the table here. What I just wanted to do is expose this and say, hey, there's unintended consequences to this scenario of having universal pre-K, and it may actually be more harm than good, but even though I do think it's going to be a net positive, and here's how I think that net positive could become even greater. We need to get on the same page as a culture about what school is, especially for young children. Okay, pre-K, kindergarten, even first and second grade to some extent is about social interactions, okay? It's about team building. It's about winning, losing, um, creating, painting, like being creative, uh, opening those parts of your mind, learning how to communicate with other kids, how to share, right? I think it's the responsibility of a kindergarten teacher when they split up into groups for different things to put the kids that are further advanced with the kids that are lagging behind and see how they handle that situation, right? The kids that are naturally very extroverted, teaching them how to control their emotions a little bit. Kids that are naturally very introverted, teaching them to be able to speak up for themselves and speak out loud and, and engage and interact, that's what those are for, okay? You might learn your ABCs, and you might be able to sing some songs and these different things and learn how to clean up after yourself and things like that, but it's not actually about an education, okay? 
three and four year olds don't really benefit from learning anything besides maybe a second language. A second language can be incredibly valuable for young children um, and something we're going to do as well. But outside of that, they're learning how to speak. They're soaking everything up. And I think that those social interactions and the idea of learning how to play and experiment and win and lose and work in groups and cooperate and share and these different little things like that are actually way more important than a formal education. And what we saw in this study from Tennessee is that they were giving these kids five and a half hours of instruction five days a week. Now, I don't know what the hell you would do with kindergarten or pre-K kids for five and a half hours as far as instruction unless you're instructing them how to finger paint or how to not get paint everywhere. I don't know. I, I'm a, I, I used to TA a kindergarten class when I was in high school, and I can't imagine what five and a half hours for kids in for three and four-year-olds? Like you, you can imagine that that may increase compliance later on in life, but it's not going to cre create a healthy environment for kids to learn, develop, and grow. So I think instead of saying, oh, universal pre-K is bad, maybe we need to reevaluate the way that we look at education for young children. You know, And now, going into what we're talking about now, it's even more of a dire situation than ever before because these kids that are two and three and four don't know a life where you can see someone's fucking face aside from their parents. So they don't pick up on those cues. You're going to have you're going to have these kids growing up struggling with empathy because so much of the empathy is picking up on subtle cues on someone's face. And kids that are isolated struggle with that. These are facts. Okay? So little subtle nuances. We have evolved to pick up on subtle nuances in facial expressions and body language and voice tone. And when you numb all that out with a mask, you create a ton of damage. And then if you can pound that with universal pre-K and five and a half hours of instruction for somehow preparing these kids to go to college? They're fucking four, man. Like, let's get on the same page here about what this could be. And one of the things that I really thought was great about this study is these are all kids under the poverty level. So these are kids that already are at higher risk than other kids of disciplinary issues, dropping out of school. Okay, and they're the ones that are going to be in most of these universal pre-K programs. So we have to look at the unintended consequences of something that is very well-intentioned. So I wanted to bring that to you. Think about it what you will. But I think there's an opportunity here for us to really reevaluate as a culture how we look at young children education and how we look at school as a whole. Because as much of school is education as it is social sorting and understanding how to cooperate and live and interact as a healthy adult. And what we're looking at is trying to get kids good test scores and ignoring the real goal of parenting, in my opinion, which is raising highly functional adults. But that's just me. I'm not a parent yet, but I have strong feelings about this. And I think we can do a lot better than what we're doing now. And that starts with acknowledging our shortcomings, which is a hard thing to do as a culture, but it is very important. All right, we got to point this out. We've got uh, we've got some blue states catching up to the science. There, uh, the the blue states are actually starting to trust the science here. Uh, Ten blue states announcing end to masks mandates. We don't need to go into all the details here, um, but we look at like Delaware, Connecticut, Illinois. You guys have seen all of this stuff: Massachusetts, Nevada, New Jersey, New York. Um, apparently, some of these places are still making children in schools wear masks, which I think is kind of silly, but 
where we are, Rhode Island, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so we get this, <laughs> you see this narrative shifting. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the midterms, but you see this narrative shifting all over the place, right? And it's really funny because it's like, oh, the science is changing. The science is changing. So I wanted to just play this, and you may have seen some of this already, but we're going to bring up uh, old, good old Lena Wynn from CNN. So interesting, such an interesting person. Um, just so well thought out and compassionate. So let's hear what she had to say just a little while ago when Chris Cuomo was still on the air. And that's true. There is the anti-science, anti-vaxxer contingent. By the way, the anti-science, anti-vaxxer contingent, what she's calling that, which is not anti-vaxxers and not anti-science, are people that were actually listening to the science, right? Where people who were actually saying exactly what you were about to say in this next clip. Let's just, let's just keep that in mind. But I think that there are many more people, millions of people, who, for whatever reason, have concerns about the vaccine, who just don't know what's in it for them. And we need to make it clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. And the window to do that is really narrowing. I mean, you were mentioning, Chris, about how all these states are reopening. They're reopening at 100 percent. And we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status, because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? So that's why I think the CDC and the Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you're vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms that you have, because otherwise people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway. And I fear a situation of coming into the fall. So that's Lena Wynn. Um, speaking the quiet part out loud, I guess, with completely shameless in her, <laughs> in her manipulation of the American public to do what she thinks is the right thing to do um, with zero consideration for their own thoughts, opinions, or just general freedom at large. So let's check out where she's at now. Do you agree with the move? I do. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one way masking, the idea that even if other people are around, you are not wearing masks. If you wear a high quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer, too. And so in this case, I'm not saying I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district of the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family who can still decide that their child can wear a mask if needed. So what she's saying is that what we're advocating for is what Florida and Texas have been doing for the past, like, what, 12 months? 14 months? So why don't you just fucking apologize and say that you were wrong? Because the science hasn't changed. This has been abundantly clear for an extended period of time. You, the, the, the idea that the science has changed is, is laughable. Let's continue. Um, you know, take New Jersey, the case in New Jersey, for instance, their new case average is just over 4,000. Um, is that an acceptable number to do this or, or, or are they projecting out to March 7th at this point? I don't think we should be looking at case counts at all at this point. Jesus fucking Christ. So now we're gonna, are we gonna accept natural immunity? We shouldn't be looking at case numbers. We've been, CNN and MSNBC have been stroking off the case numbers for two years. 
Not looking at hospitalizations or death, but that's the next thing she's going to say is, oh, we should just look at hospitalizations and death. Yeah. Yeah. That was obvious a year ago, Lena. And people were saying that and called crazy anti-vaxxer, anti-science people. Okay. Can you admit, can you apologize, please, for filling us with bullshit? Just spewing it everywhere. Can you apologize to the American public, please? I would love to see that. Especially when we're dealing with a milder variant and when so many people were exposed to Omicron and therefore have ha- have at least some level of protection, either through vaccination or immunity. The key number that we should be looking at is hospitalizations. If our ICUs and hospitals in that particular region are not overwhelmed, if they're not over capacity, we can set a number, for example, 75% or 80% full, then we should be able to relax all restrictions. And I actually believe that we should be starting to, with the first restriction removed should actually be the restriction on children. Because while for adults, you could say, well, what's the harm of adults masking when they go into a grocery store? There actually is a harm that we should be discussing of children continuing to mask. That doesn't mean that masking doesn't have its place for children when there are very high rates of hospitalization. If we get a new variant in the future that children are particularly susceptible to, we may want to bring masks back. But we should also be intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost, especially for the youngest learners, uh, people with English as a second language, children with learning disabilities, there has been a cost to them. So the If Lena Wynn would have said all of that six months ago, she would be considered a right-wing extremist. To acknowledge that there are downsides of children, especially disadvantaged children wearing masks in school, to acknowledge that reality six months ago, would have made her a right-wing extremist, even though it was abundantly obvious. This is some Orwellian shit. This is straight out of 1984. I mean, I think Lena Wynn is about to be the director of the Ministry of Truth. That's how silly this is getting. I mean, to say that she could... We knew this. We knew this, and we were called crazy. How does that feel? And these same people are the ones crying about a decrease in trust in in the corporate media because they have research teams and medical teams. But here we are. Here we are with a completely changing narrative. Strange. Risk-benefit calculation has really changed. Oh, we 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 can use risk-benefit calculations now. Oh, wow. That's weird because that's the reason I didn't get vaccinated. There was a risk-benefit calculation that I ran for myself. But that's, so that's okay now, but it wasn't okay before. Can we, 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 do we see where this is going? Can we wrap our minds around this? You have no reason, no reason to trust these institutions. They have done everything in their power to give you only reasons for the contrary. And then they cry about it. Lena Wynn, we deserve an apology from you. We deserve an apology from you. People have been deplatformed, had their income taken away. The working class has been decimated. And you get to say what they were saying a few months later. Absolutely absolutely atrocious.
Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs. Guys, I'm sipping on an element right now. And I'll tell you, the other day I went out, uh, Kelly and I went out, and I think I had like three tequilas. I usually drink Casamigo Treposado when I go out places. And we went out and had a couple drinks with some friends. And man, three tequilas does more damage to me than it used to. But knowing that a primary cause of that hangover feeling is dehydration, I hammered an element like a big ass mason jar full of water and element and it saved my life that's because it's bioavailable electrolytes without the sugar and the bullshit like a sports drink i know a lot of you people are like oh i'm hungover drink pedialyte like stop 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 you're not in college anymore grow the fuck up okay here we go we got let's just look i have an element pack right here that i'm drinking out of salt sodium chloride citric acid magnesium malate Potassium chloride, natural flavors, and stevia leaf extract. You can pronounce everything. Nothing crazy in here. No red dye number three or blue dye number 12. None of that nefarious bullshit. This was created by Rob Wolf, who had such a humongous impact in the way that we view health and wellness today from a very straightforward perspective. Eat real food. This is created by the guy, one of the pioneers, of suggesting that maybe we eat real food that maybe we prioritize protein and maybe we're actually not getting enough salt and maybe just maybe drinking this stuff during your workout after you've been sweating your ass off while on a hike before the gym if you're doing a keto or low carb situation it's fucking great you need these things in your body guys and if you haven't tried them yet i've got a gift for you go to drink element dri klmnt.com slash wanders and you're going to get a variety pack all you have to do is cover shipping it's five dollars shipping you're gonna get a variety pack of their favorite of my favorite flavors their best flavors the most popular flavors so you can try it out and then i suggest loading up on watermelon and grapefruit because those are my favorites right now but if you like chocolatey stuff and you're into that kind of thing the chocolate and the chocolate mint are meant to be drank and hot. So in the wintertime here, it's nice to have a little ch- cup of hot chocolate that has no sugar and satiates your electrolyte needs. Outstanding company, guys. Outstanding company. Honestly, I want to invest in this company. Can somebody l- allow me to just give Element some money because they have got such a great thing going on? I mean, I love them. All you have to do is go to drinkelement.com slash wanders. Link is in the show notes, or you can type it in. Whatever you want to do, you can do it while you're listening to the show and get that variety pack for five bucks, y'all. You will thank me later. If you have an active lifestyle or if you're eating something that's like keto, paleo, or carnivore style, more of a low-carb situation, this will support you. It also helps you curve cravings, or it helps me. This is a subjective experience, totally anecdotal, but at night, I snack too much. Okay, it's a problem. I've been that way since I was a kid and having something that's palatable and kind of sweet and kind of tart and that saltiness satiates those cravings in a big way. And I really appreciate that. It's helped me because I'm trying to get my shit back together now that I'm not all injured and beat up anymore. And I've been in the gym a lot. I've been feeling good, been feeling right. And Element has helped me along the way. So drinkelement.com slash wanders, get that variety pack. And I've also got to tell you about our other show sponsor who is here supporting independent content and free speech. They're called Cure Nutrition and they are the best CBD company in the game. They operate with a metric fuck ton of integrity. Okay. These guys are doing an amazing job. I know the CEO and founder. He's a rad dude. He's always updating us on what they're doing, how they're working. Guys, 
there's some Valentine's Day special stuff going on. If you're if you're if your significant other is into nutrition and health and wellness, grab them a pack. Okay. Now, what I like, when my favorite bang for your buck uh, package is on here is their daily dose bundle, which is the Rise Aura and Zen. Um, raw CBD capsules. I do like the capsules more than the tinctures myself, but they do thing like create a cognitive enhancement, protect your gut lining, encourage a healthy gut microbiome, which is just absolutely crucial. If you're talking about living a healthy life, I mean, your gut dictates so much of your behavior, your, your energy levels. It's insane. I mean, just look up how much your gut does for your day-to-day life. It's insane. I mean, just, it's nuts. Okay. And Aura does a lot to help protect that gut lining and promote a healthy butt gut biome as well as boosts immune function. And then Zen is something I take before bed. It encourages relaxation, combats stress, promotes uh, REM deep and deep sleep cycles. And it's not it's not like a drowsy inducing thing. You know, it just like gives you some good sleep, especially when I'm recording late at night and I get all amped up like you guys know that I do. I need something to kind of bring me back down a little bit and sometimes it's a little bit of weed mixed with a little bit of zen so guys all you gotta do go to curednutrition.com the link is in the show notes use promo code homeless and you're gonna get 10 percent off your entire order plus free shipping so c-u-r-e-d nutrition.com check it out link is in the show notes both amazing companies both doing a lot to bolster and support people that are putting out independent content and speaking freely and that's one of the reasons I love them aside from the fact that their products are outstanding so support our sponsors support the show and better yourself along the way it's a fucking win 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 what are you waiting for links from the show notes check it out now let's get back to the show well, there's absolutely no way we're going to get through this episode without talking about crack pipes. <laughs> okay, so here's the original article that started off this whole kind of thing. The Washington Free Beacon says, uh, Biden admin to fund crack pipe di- distribution to advance racial equality. A $30 million program will provide smoking pits to vo- smoking kits excuse me, to vulnerable communities. Now, a li- of course, that's in- quite inflammatory and was taken uh, somewhat out of context. The reality behind the situation is that it's very complicated. There was these the thirty million dollar grant program. Part of people had in diff, various communities and districts had had different ideas for what to do with that money, from uh, testing kits to clean smoking kits to needle exchanges, different stuff that was going on. The crack pipes, of course, based on Hunter Biden's crack use and different things, um, got the heat because crack is now a bit of thing that we talked about. But it's also there was uh, pipes in there for smoking meth as well. And let's just, I don't know where the racial equality comes into all this. Because white people tend to have a meth problem and black people have a crack problem. It's a very similar issue that happens in those various communities. They're also very similar. So I don't. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. If you're if you're if you're smoking too much crack or too much meth, you're going to have a problem. Okay. So I don't understand where the advancing uh, racial equality piece of this belongs. Um, but that's kind of a thing you can say at any point to just kind of um, make something sound. Good. Now, Jin Saki came out, and we're not going to play the clip. You guys have seen it. But Jin Saki came out and said the crack pipes weren't a part of it, but they were part of a proposal. So maybe there was some money that was going to crack pipes. She said it was misinformation. I don't believe that. I think some money was going to go to crack pipes. And I honestly don't have a problem with clean smoking kits. I'm not sharing memes that are like, oh, the, like this, this is Biden, like let them smoke crack memes, like all that stuff. I thought it was very silly, very divisive, and a complete waste of everyone's fucking time, even though some of it was kind of funny. 
But I didn't think it was funny because we live in a country, we live in the richest country in the world, and we have overdose and addiction crises all over the place. Red states, blue states, rural, urban, doesn't matter. Okay, really the only difference is where the drugs are coming from. Are they coming from uh, motorcycle gangs and white supremacy groups, or are they coming from uh, the Crips and the Bloods and other fucking gangs? Like, it, wh- who who's the organized crime? Does it, is that, that's where the drugs are coming from is really the only difference. The drug problems are systemic within our entire nation. So nothing about a crack problem or an overdose epidemic is fucking funny to me. And maybe that's because I have a little bit more of an experience dealing with people that I love struggling with addiction. Maybe that gives me a little bit more empathy, or maybe it gives me a bias, maybe a little bit of both. But when I look at this, and I look at the way this was portrayed, especially by the fucking conservatives, I swear to God, this the the conservatives with this piece right here lost so much of my respect. And I'm going to show you why. But we'll read through some of this article really quick. The Biden administration is set to fund the distribution of crack pipes to drug addicts as part of its plan to advance racial equality. Again, the racial equality piece doesn't make any sense to me. A $30 million grant grant program, which closed applications Monday, will begin in May, will provide funds to nonprofits and local governments to help drug use uh, drug use help make drug use safer for addicts. Included in this grant, which is overseen by the DHHS, um are funding for smoking kits and supplies. A spokesperson for the agency told the Washington Free Beacon that these kits will provide pipes for users to smoke crack cocaine, crystal meth, and other illicit substances. Um, HHS said that the kits aim to reduce the risk of infection when smoking substances with glass pipes, which can lead to infection through cuts and sores. Applicants for the grant programs are prioritized if they treat a majority of uh, underserved communities, including African-American and LGBTQ plus persons, and established under Joe Biden's executive order for advancing racial equality. Again, that's the part of this that makes absolutely no sense to me. It doesn't matter whether you're a dude that likes to suck dicks or if you're transgender or whatever, or if you're black, drug problems are drug problems. Okay. They have similar outcomes regardless of any of that superficial bullshit. Uh, Democratic run cities such as San Francisco and Seattle have distributed smoking kits to residents, yada, yada, yada. Funding for the harm reduction grant program is provided through Democrats' American Rescue Plan, which the Senate passed along party lines after Vice President Kamala Harris cast a tie-breaking vote. Other equipment that qualifies for the funding, which this they buried the lead here, other equipment that qualifies for the funding includes syringes, vaccinations, disease screenings, condoms, and fentanyl strips. The grant program will last three years, include 25 awards up to $400,000. So the crack pipes were part of one proposal, not part of the entire plan. They are done geographically, okay? Different cities have different issues and need different things. But if you think that supplying people with fentanyl test strips is a fucking problem, then I have a goddamn bridge to sell you, okay? Look at this situation. Now, there is a difference, okay? I will sit here and say this right now. Not all addicts are victims, okay? Not all addicts are victims and not all addicts need to be treated like victims. It's not the best thing for all addicts. Many addicts are victims, okay? When you look at addiction, sometimes it's a spoiled shithead narcissist who's an addict and thinks that the world belongs to them. That person needs to be put in their fucking place. Sometimes it's a victim of abuse and neglect. And what that person probably needs to help them treat their addiction is someone to actually give a shit about them because they may have never had that in their entire life. And that's where the case of social workers comes into play, all right? One social worker can manage up to 30 or so people. 
Now, do I think you should legally be able to shoot heroin and smoke crack on the street or camp on the, in an in a, in a open-air fucking drug den? No. I think that should be illegal. And I think we should have government programs that are able to create, help some of these people create stability or give them whatever they need in a, in a subjective basis because it's, it's a very individual situation why people are led to addiction. But it's a problem, and many of our core institutions have contributed to that problem, and we need to acknowledge that as well. But we talked about that on the show just a while back about how important it could be to get testing kits to people. And if that is part of the program, I am all for it. If it involves, you know, throwing in some crack pipes that are 10 or 15 or 25 cents a piece, so be it. So be it. I can tell you right now, a B-52 bomber costs $56 million, one of them. So $30 million on the whole is a drop in the bucket. All right? We spend more money than that on the dumbest shit all the fucking time. Okay? So, like, if you're going to sit here and be like, oh, it's $30 million, we should be spending that money on... Wars. That's like three drone strikes. Come on, guys. Come the fuck on. So somebody that I actually feel is somewhat principled, uh, Senator Kennedy. Um, but he's a, he's a boomer, man. He's a boomer Republican. And I want to hear, I want you to see how he interacts with Sean Hannity here, who is another boomer Republican who are so disconnected. These guys are pro-drug war. They want to lock people up. And again, like I said, I think that you should have either a choice of treatment or prison or jail at least, county, right? If you're shooting up on the street. If you're shitting on the street. Okay? It's not uh, the summer of fucking love in these homelessness encampments. All right? People are sexually abused, murdered, overdosing. It is a fucking problem we need to deal with, and it's not a joke. It is not a joke. These are real people, and it is our society. And if you want to make jokes about it, that's on you. But this is real human suffering happening in the wealthiest country in the world. So let's listen, listen to how these two boomers go at it. Dollars for lip balm. Here with reaction, Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. You know, the original Free Beacon article, Senator, you know, I don't know. Maybe I've been doing this job for way too long. 33 years in radio, 26 years here at Fox. Uh, but call me suspicious. I suspect that the crack pipe was included for meth and crack users. But the pushback maybe made them think twice. Your thoughts? Once again, intelligence is chasing the Biden administration. <laughs> but sorry. the Biden administration is managing to beat it. Uh, this entire controversy, in my judgment, Sean, is why millions of Americans tonight are thinking, you know, Republicans aren't perfect, and God knows we're not. But the other side is crazy. Now think about this. Before we go on, how about this? Start off and saying, instead of saying Republicans aren't perfect, saying Republicans are responsible in many ways for the situation that we're in. Ronald Reagan, Nixon, making these drugs schedule one when they had no right to be because they were used by your political opponents in the black community and the hippie community, maybe start there. Take a little bit of accountability before you start throwing fucking stones at about intelligence and ignorance. The president, President Biden has decided to take $30 million of taxpayer money from his emergency COVID bill that he passed with democratic support last March and he wants to use it to facilitate the smoking 
of crack cocaine and meth. If you think that the barrier to entry for being a crack or meth addict is a clean pipe, you are the problem. Okay? Because all you need to smoke meth or crack is a piece of tinfoil and a fucking straw. All right? But sharing pipes and doing things like that, which will, will happen because you're an addict. Cleanliness isn't really your necessary first priority. But you can, if your lips are cracked and bleeding and you're sharing pipes, there's hep C, even HIV to some extent, not as much as needles, but it can happen. In the name of racial justice, racial equity. Which we agree doesn't make any sense. He, he says, his people say they can make the smoking of crack cocaine and meth safer. First, why are they using COVID money? Number two, why are they using any money at all? There, there's no safe way to smoke crack or meth. Sooner or later, it kills you. Well, if you take Adderall or Vyvanse, that's considered safe and approved by the FDA. And that's just a fact. Why do we want to facilitate it? Why Americans are asking themselves, wouldn't we, we take this money and use it to help people get off, the, get off the illicit drugs? How? 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 Tell me how. Because the way I look at this is a real fucking crisis. Just like kind of when your house is on fire, right? Maybe the first thing we can do if your house is on fire, you don't go, wow, I should probably figure out how this fire started before I put it out. You put out the fucking fire, then you do your investigation later. Let's maybe minimize the resources that are being used by our first responders, EMS, dealing with this bullshit and fentanyl poisoning and these different things, right? That's a, do you think, if you don't think that we're spending taxpayer money more than $30 million a year dealing with this bullshit of infections and overdoses, Right? If you think we're not spending more than $30 million on that, you're missing, you're missing a big part of the picture here. Because do you think that homeless addicts that are getting picked up by EMS for overdosing in the middle of a street, right? do you think they're paying their medical bills? Absolutely not. We are. Okay? And there's a lot of corruption that is involved in that as, as well. But we got to acknowledge that. So by decreasing infections and decreasing fentanyl poisoning, which is different than a fentanyl overdose, if someone is addicted to fentanyl, they know what they are doing. They know they are doing fentanyl. If someone is doing heroin or cocaine that is laced with fentanyl and they do not know that, that is a fentanyl poisoning case. And that is happening all the time, even with the recreational use of something like cocaine, which in the end of the day can be done in a way that is not addictive. Okay, it is the most popular drug on Capitol Hill. Okay, and of course, they have the money to make sure they get good stuff. I'm sure they're using texting kits. Just like if I decide to use any drugs that could possibly be laced with fentanyl, I'm going to use a testing kit. Okay, you just got to be safe. But addicts don't have access to these kind of things. And keeping those people from being dead on the street saves money. So if you can invest a little bit of money into these communities to maybe slow that down a little bit till we can figure out a better infrastructure, a carrot and a stick for addicts to get some stability in their life and start cleaning this up. And we can institute some laws about outdoor camping or shooting up on the street and actually enforce some of this because right now we have the worst of both worlds, which we're going to talk about after this video. Why wouldn't we take this money, the American people are asking themselves, and use it to stop the drugs from coming in our country in the first place. By the markets are very powerful. There is a gigantic market for fentanyl, 
cocaine, heroin, and all these things that are a lot of them are coming from south of the border. But markets are powerful. They will find a way. A wall is not stopping them. Okay, more border patrol is not stopping them. It's not going to work. That is insane. Absolutely insane. We're gonna. St- How many billions and trillions of dollars have we spent trying to stop drugs from coming into this country? Unless you have some novel idea, Senator Kennedy, you're just blowing smoke up everybody's ass and saying something that you think sounds good for your base. Securing the border. And what what does any of this have to do with racial justice? That's true. Crack cocaine and meth, whether you smoke it or inject it, will kill you. It doesn't matter what color you are or, or what your gender is. Now look, stupidity is a lot like pornography. It's very hard to define, but you know it when you see it. This is stupidity. You know, Senator, how many spend $30 million? I don't know, I'm just doing simple math here, and all you're buying is lip balm and, let's see, alcohol wipes or whatever, clean wipes, whatever they're gonna buy. $30 million would probably be a lifetime or a decade supply for the entire country. And this is Sean Hannity being Sean Hannity, which is strawmanning the fuck out of it. Test kits, alcohol swabs, uh, clean pipes, HIV tests, vaccinations, right? Hepatitis tests. You can see how you can spend $30 million on that on the population we have very quickly. So Sean Hannity, maybe operate in good faith when you're discussing these kind of things. So I don't believe them. Do you think, as I do, that they're lying? Because I think the original plan is what was reported in the Washington Free Beacon. Well, you know, maybe maybe George Washington couldn't tell a lie, but just about every politician since then has mastered the art. I, I suspect they're not being candid. You're right. Originally, the the, the, the uh, administration said they didn't, would include crack pipes. Now Jen Psaki said today, nope, we're going to leave out the crack <coughs> pipes. But they're still sending out kits, uh, illicit drug smoking kits that are designed to facilitate the smoking of, of crack cocaine and meth. And they say if we, you use our kits, it's safer. Uh, and it promotes racial equity. There's no safe way to use crack cocaine and meth. Sooner or later, it kills you. Why aren't we spending this money to get people off the illicit drugs? Why aren't we spending this money to stop the drugs from coming into our country? And where an actual interviewer would jump in here, which Sean Hannity is not, he is a, uh, a conservative entertaining pundit, uh, or entertainment pundit, excuse me, this is basically e-news for conservatives here, uh, where you would jump in, if I was interviewing him, I'd say, hey, how, why? How? What are we doing? What do you What do you got? What What different than what we're already doing? Could you enlighten me? Maybe you have some kind of crazy idea, but that's not happening here. And And what does any of this have to do with COVID? And what does any of this have to do with with racial equity or racial justice? I mean, this is this is there aren't words in English, Sean. I swear to God, they just. The, the Biden administration just keeps kicking its own rear end, and I don't understand. That's true. <laughs> you know what? And um, I don't want to stop them from doing it because we really need new leadership quickly. Senator. Yeah, you, you wouldn't want to stop them from doing it. You want to keep perpetuating the divisiveness because it supports your party because your party is much more important to you than the American population. So that's where we're at with that. Now, here's what I want to say. 
right now, and similar to our healthcare system, we have the worst of both worlds. We have a Republican Party and a conservative movement that wants to think that everybody who is a homeless person or an addict is a criminal, is a villain, is a toxic burden on society that needs to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, uh, and they completely don't, you know, fail to acknowledge the mental health crisis, um, the abuse that led people there, that there are people out there that are victims of circumstance, and that they have would love to get out of that scenario. And then on the other side, you have the liberals, right, which is identified in California and, and other liberals. But California is like a, a, the shining example of this, who thinks that every homeless person and every addict and every person of color, by definition, is a victim, and they treat them like that, right? So they completely don't acknowledge that a lot of these people were like affluent, you know, kid, white kids who like were stealing fucking pain pills from granny and that led them to where they are. And they need a swift kick in the fucking ass, right? Just like I said earlier, and some people need to know that someone there is actually looking out for them and cares for them to give them the stability and some healthy attachment that they could, that they, they need in, in a big way. So it's a very complex and nuanced problem that what we see on both sides of the aisle is hyper reductionist nonsense. And this, 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 this conservative movement around the crack pipes is in my opinion, in bad faith. So I, I feel like I feel like I'm having to like scold children here in this situation. But again, I maybe the epi- the title of this episode is "Grow the Fuck Up." That's that's where we're going because that's exactly how I feel about so much of this shit. Let's have a nuanced conversation about how we got ourselves here, and we all have a responsibility. We're all culpable. Okay, whatever your political affiliation is, even the independents, we have overlooked this, we've brushed it under the rug, and it needs to be addressed in some kind of way. But first, we have to put the fire out before we really dig into the hows and the whys of what happened here. There's lots of debate to be had, and it should be had in, in an open public discourse. But we'll see if that ever happens because it's really good to straw man the other side for your movement. It'll happen in eight years. It'll be the, the Democrats will be on the common sense side of things until they get in power and completely fuck it up again. After the Republicans have expended all their political capital doing whatever the fuck they think they need to do over the next eight years. It's it's, this is the world we live in now guys. And I really think that, that it's going to take a, a handful of us being loud and aggressive in trying to speak some common sense into the void. Will it do anything? I don't know, but I'm sure it's fucking a try, and I hope you do too. So we brought up Joe Rogan in the intro, but I want to get into this a little bit here because this guy, Matthew Sheffield, who I don't know who the fuck this guy is. I don't care. He seems like an absolute clown. The, the, this Twitter thread is, is so comical. But he wrote this list, and he said, Joe Rogan fans also point out his fig leaf endorsement of Bernie Sanders as proof that Rogan isn't right-wing, but right-wingers overwhelmingly are his favorites, as you can see from his guest list. So we have the guest list here, and we're just going to read some of those off. So on the left, he has uh, Crystal Ball, Camus Bell, Lee Camp, Tommy Chong, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Jimmy Dore, Anna Kasparian, Kyle Kalinske, Dan Savage, Amy Schumer, Kevin Smith, Edward Snowden, and Jink Uger. So if we look at this, I would take Edward... I was going to run through all of these. I would take Edward Snowden, make that apolitical. Um, I mean, the documents released kind of were... were, were uh, it, it attacked both parties. Uh, Jink Uger clearly on the left. Kevin Smith clearly on the left. Dan Savage, Amy Schumer, apolitical. Kyle Kalinske on the left. Anna Kasparian left. Jimmy Dores on the left. Neil deGrasse Tyson, apolitical. Tommy Chum, apolitical. Um, so these are not... These are just people that this guy likes, I guess, and agrees with. If we go over here to the right wing, which is... This is where it gets really, really kooky. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, 
These guys are relevant. Those were years and years ago. But yeah, on the right. Dana White, apolitical. Barry Weiss, on the left. Eric and Brett Weinstein, on the left. Um, ben Shapiro, right? That makes sense. Uh, Gad Saad, intellectual professor, apolitical. Dave Rubin, right? Tim Pool, right? Makes sense. Steven Pinker, apolitical. Bridget Fetesey, left center. <laughs> Jordan Peterson, apolitical. Candace Owens, on the right. Ted Nugent, right? Elon Musk, apolitical. Uh, Douglas Murray, okay, I can get on some of these. Gavin McGinnis, James Lindsay, Alex Jones. I can get that, all right. Heather Hang, left. Like, the real left. Uh, Sam Harris, this is funny. Sam Harris has been on this show eight times, and Sam Harris has been somebody who actually like really has um, has upset me. And I don't let people do this very often, but Sam Harris was a very important character to me um, in my kind of uh, own personal development and growth uh, when it came to his books, Waking Up, The End of Faith, uh, I just love his writing. I like the way he thinks and it really resonated with me. And now for whatever reason he thinks, because I was chose not to get vaccinated, that I am an idiot, um, that I am a, uh, I should be barred from freedom, uh, which I find really interesting, but he was just on Jordan Peterson's podcast. Uh, recently they did a, like a two hour conversation. So I'm going to check that out and see if Jordan has anything to say, uh, along those lines and maybe share some of that with you. But Sam is not right wing. Okay. <laughs> like not at all. Sam is it, it, politically is kind of a neoliberal. So I don't understand. He, he, he tried to justify this with some ridiculous nonsense. Doesn't make any sense. Tulsi Gabbard. I would call her uh, a centrist. I, I can actually get on board with her being right wing. It seems like she's going to run as a conservative where she's at. That makes sense. Uh, Sagar and Jetty. Okay. He, he's a self-described conservative. Tim Dillon has been on 10 times, which I love Apolitical. He's a fucking comedian. Um, Steven Crowder. Okay. That makes sense. Russell Brandt. Russell Brand is not right wing. Criticizing COVID response and dystopian fucking nonsense does not make you right wing. I am not right wing. Like, couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, we could look in here. Owen Benjamin. Okay, so Roseanne Barr, again, comedian. What are we doing here, guys? Like, what, what this list is, here's people I agree with I put on the left and people I disagree with I put on the right. People I think shouldn't be able to have a platform versus people I think that ha- should have a bigger platform. Now, I'm surprised he didn't, I'm really surprised he didn't put Jimmy Dore on the right because Jimmy Dore has been so outspoken against all of this COVID nonsense. And I, it, it really does surprise me. I mean, I used to like Anna Kasparian and Jane Huger until Trump completely rotted their brains and they lost their fucking minds. Uh, but why? Like, what, what value does this bring? This got this guy attention in a bunch of like arguments on Twitter, but. This is so far from the truth. I mean, if you, you, you also can't put these guests in two different categories. Human beings are much more complicated than right wing and le- more complicated than right wing and left wing. Like this is part of the problem. This reductionist lack of critical thinking is a humongous part of the problem. And I wanted to share that with you guys because what the fuck? Why? You're going to sit here and say Eric and Brett Weinstein are right wing because of their opinions on COVID opinions on one thing. Don't make you right wing. There's a bunch of pro choice pro second amendment people out there. That's why my audience grows is because of shit like this. So actually just like Sean Hannity said in the last segment, keep doing it. I love this actually keep doing this because fucking assholes like you are just growing my audience and it's only better for me. So keep pretending that it's as simple as right wing and left wing and people like me and Amir Odom and Will Roush and Liam DeBoer and Barry Weiss and Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi and Joe Rogan will just keep growing because fuck you. Fuck you, bro. You stupid, selfish, 
arrogant, reductionist, small-minded dickhead. Tag him in it. I hope everybody tag this fucking asshole in the, in the, in this, uh, in the comments. You are a joke, my friend. What is this guy's name one more time? Just so we all know. Just so we all know. Let's find it. Matthew Sheffield. You are a joke, my friend. But keep doing it because you're only helping all of us that you hate. You're only helping us, brother. (sighs) The fact that they don't see that makes it even more fun. So Tucker Carlson is um, the number one corporate media anchor, right? I wouldn't call him a journalist. He's just kind of an opinion commentator. But um, I don't hate Tucker. I don't love Tucker. I listen to some of his stuff. He's a little bit silly sometimes. But as far as it goes, like he's not, as somebody who's on the left, like not that bad. And it looks like I'm not the only one. Surprise. Tucker Carlson draws uh, the most Democratic viewers in key demo, even topping Rachel Maddow. Well, I'll be a son of a bitch. There's an entire cottage industry within the media dedicated to disseminating Tucker Carlson's nightly Fox News musings to presumptuously liberal audiences who may not be tuning in to hear what the leading conservative voice is telling his large following. But recent data from the Nielsen MRI fusion suggests these nightly dispatches may not be necessary. In October, the most recent month with data available, Carlson's 9 p.m. Eastern Time program show was among top... it was top show was the was the top news cable show among Democrats in the advertiser coveted range of twenty five to fifty four. The Nielsen MRI fusion numbers reveal that in October, Fox News unsurprisingly got the majority of the audits of self-proclaimed Republicans with 69% of them overall tuning in total day programming and 73% of them in the demo using uh, tuning into primetime programming. CNN and MSNBC split the remaining conservatives with the totals in the low-digit percentages. Fox News also commanded the largest number of independents in the key news demo during primetime and total day hours. 55% of those 25 to 54 watched the network in primetime time compared to CNN's 23 and MSNBC's 22%. During total day hours, 50% of independents in the demo watch Fox News, 18% choose MSNBC, and 25% selected CNN. More surprisingly are the stats about Carlson and Fox News's pool with self-proclaimed Democrats. Of those demo-age viewers surveyed who identified as Democrats, 39% chose Fox News, 31% chose MSNBC, and 30% chose CNN for programming from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. In total day viewership, Fox News grabbed 42% of Democrats age 40 or 25 to 54. CNN had 33, and MSNBC got 25 so what we're seeing here is the reason Rachel Maddow is stepping out on MSNBC. <laughs> what are they going to do? Like you, your biggest media figures in the podcast world is Joe Rogan, right? And in the corporate media space, it's Tucker Carlson. Even among self-described Democrats in the key demographic of 25 to 54. Isn't that something? Absolutely insane. Had to share that with you guys. Just the the irony. The irony is quite beautiful. So now, as the snow comes down, I'm going to give you 
something to think about. So there's a person that I'm friends with that I've used as an example of what people call the, um, like the COVID obsessed, right? I think that we should have locked down harder and that if I don't have a vaccine, I should have to wear a mask, even though it's doesn't really, I guess you prefer to get COVID from a vaccinated person. I don't know. Kind of following these narratives and saying, Hey, I'm listening to people who know what they're talking about, even though, the people who know what they're talking about agree more with me than they do with that person now, but six months ago, I was a problem, right? And I've used this person, and I had a little moment of self-reflection the other day and said, hey, how can we make this better? Like, this is a problem. We all, we're all frustrated with each other. We're all mad. We've all dug our heels in. As we were talking about earlier in the show, we're all defensive and, and don't want to change, you know, don't want to acknowledge the weakness in our own argument, and you're either on team Sanjay Gupta or team McCullough, and all this stuff, even though... Everybody has something to gain from the popularity, and it's just a whole deal, right? It's a whole shit show. And there are these like 10 to 20% on both sides who are just dug the fuck in and are never going to move. But in the spirit of being politically homeless and trying to free ourselves from that nonsense, I think we have a responsibility to one another. And I've tried to do this um, with that person that I brought up earlier, uh, a friend of mine who I do care about a lot. And one of the reasons that I challenged this person so much is because I wanted them to have the best information. Uh, because when they were saying things like, I think we should have locked down harder and this wouldn't have happened, that is objectively false, right? So I, I would prefer my friend to not say things like that uh, and seem like they're completely uninformed when they have very strong opinions, especially when they're pretty politically engaged. Um, but I did so in a very condescending way, and I have to take responsibility for that. And I feel like we've been like that to each other, and I am as guilty as anybody. Well, not as anybody, but pretty fucking guilty. Um, and I think what we can do is come together, okay? Come together and have these conversations with our family, with our friends, that have maybe things have been tense uh, over the past couple of years, and maybe we've had disagreements, and maybe... <sighs> We've done a lot. And this is to the vaccinated and the unvaccinated and the, and the pro-lockdown and the anti-lockdown. I think we need to come together and say, hey, listen, we were all a little freaked out, okay? We all acted impulsively and then rationalized that with whatever logic that supported our intuition and our fears. We all did from all sides, okay? It was a lot, it was crazy, and we were all being manipulated by people and institutions that have way more power than we do, and they only benefited from us being pissed off at each other for seemingly now that we're on the other side of this thing, really silly fucking reasons. Really silly reasons. For the vaccinated people out there, to the people that you may have disagreed with, to a certain point to say, hey, I want my, I want to make my own choice about my own body. You can just extend that olive branch and say, hey, you know what? It was a crazy time and you're equally as justified in your decision to not get vaccinated as I am in my decision to get vaccinated. And for all of my unvaccinated brethren and sisters out there, if you stirred the pot and you, the, you, you guys out there know which ones of you were stirring the pot, okay? I'm no stranger to stirring the pot. 
You need to go to your vaccinated friends that you may have some tension with or your family members and say, hey, it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time. But you, and I know this is going to be hard, it's going to be harder for the unvaccinated people, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) But you need to go to those people and say, I understand why you made the decision you made and you're equally as justified in your decision to get vaccinated as I am in my decision to get unvaccinated. It's time to walk off those hills that we chose to die on. Make amends. Friendship, connection, community is bigger than vaccination status. And for those of you guys out there that were super pro-vaccine and think that we were villains for not doing it and all this stuff, now we're seeing that maybe it's not controversial to say it didn't work as well as it was promised to work. And that's okay. I understand. Everybody just wants to live a better life. So maybe now is the time that we all take a few deep breaths and understand that without the, the, the fringe minorities on either side that are dug in and never going to listen to anybody and don't give a fuck, we can ignore them for a while. But for the 80% of us in the middle here, we can come together and say, hey, we all made the decisions that we thought were best for ourselves, and it's time to move forward. And all this other stuff, friends, love, family, blood, all these things are much bigger than vaccination status and political opinions. Be the change you want to see in this whole thing. Because right now, there's bigger fights to wage, and I guarantee you, they're not against each other. Something to think about. Guys, I love y'all. Thanks for being here. Join the Patreon. Just do it. Pull that trigger. First episode of Thought Criminals is in there live right now with Liam DeBoer. We get into Canada, education, bullshit, Marvel movies. It's a good time. But until next time, keep your head on straight. Stay safe out there. Bye-bye.